Hi everyone, it's uh, Simon from Forever Human and in your vaguely local, still sounds weird, science communicator. Hi, I am once again on the way home from work. You know, dealing with COVID panic and cleaning and, oh, good lord. So I am exhausted and have a headache that would kill small animals, so bear with me. Tonight I'm going to talk and blow the air a little bit about scale, because I find it really interesting. When you think of scale, you think of weights and things like that. The scale I'm talking about is between, is usually time, but also differences in perspective. Humans are notoriously, we find it notoriously difficult sometimes to conceptualize perspectives other than our own. Um, And that usually goes hand in hand with having a big imagination, but it's not exclusive. So, and some people just lack the ability entirely, you know, people who show low empathy ratings or low compassion ratings. But imagine for a minute that you were standing, or sitting, doesn't matter, looking up at a dinosaur. So we'll start with a Brachiosaurus. That's the one that's pictured usually quite upright. It's got four legs um, and it's got the little blowhole on top of its head. This was popularised in the first Jurassic Park movie. It's the dinosaur that sneezes and covers the little girl full of carbonator and goop. Snot. Alright, so that's a Brachiosaurus. They're one of the larger dinosaurs. They're not the biggest sauropod, which is the four-legged ones, but they're huge. If you were sitting at the foot of that, you would probably come up to just above its knee. That's how big they are. Even a big six-foot guy like me, probably not too far off its knee. Now... They're not, they, dinosaurs didn't have the biggest brain cases in the world, um, but perceptually they would live on a different scale to us. Things that were large or small would have different meanings to an organism of that size. Same with, now they're a herbivore, so their sheer size, they would, imagine if a Brachiosaurus was confronted by a lion. It would probably, if it knew what a lion was and could respond to it effectively, not give a proverbial care about it. Because it's just so small. There's no... What is it going to do? Gnaw its its ankles? You know, a lion couldn't hurt a brachiosaur. Um, It's just too big. Um, Even a T-Rex would have an enormous amount of trouble handling a a fully grown adult brachiosaur. And the males got even bigger. Huge case of sexual dimorphism. That just means when the genders aren't the same size. Um... So that's one element of scale that I find really interesting is that if an animal of a different size, an ant, would look up to us, we'd see us as giants, as gods. We would probably even be outside. If, it, if they were like a Disney movie, if ants were talking, thinking organisms, humans are so large and the impact on their environment that we can create is so big that we would be unfathomable universal constants. To us, those kind of same things are things like black holes and asteroid impacts and supernova and things that could crack the earth open like an egg. They are the the planetary scale existential threats. And to us as individuals, we see threats like airplane disasters and things like that. Scales beyond our, our control and comprehension. But we are so much larger than ants that they would be 
the, the comparison is, is insane. It's just the, the numbers would be off the chart. Now, think about, say, King Kong. I saw a comic the other day that said, my child and I are arguing over who would win in a battle between Godzilla and King Kong. And then it's got a picture of Godzilla wearing a baby harness and King Kong's in the baby harness to give you a relative idea of their scales. And even King Kong could go toe-to-toe with a Tyrannosaurus. And that's within one of the movies, Peter Jackson one, I think. So they are closer to our scale of things. But Godzilla is the size of skyscrapers, bigger than that. So that is totally and completely outside of our scale. We wouldn't even come up to his bloody toenail. So that's where scale gets really interesting in that after a certain point, humans lack the conceptual ability to firmly make those ideas concrete. Now, let's talk about this in terms of numbers. All right. A day is a conceptual amount of time. You can really easily conceptualize a day. A week, yep, dead easy. A month, yeah, that's that's still easy. You're not going to plan it every minute, but you can still conceptualize what your month, month is going to be like. Year, again, you're stretching things out a bit. You'll go, well, in April, I'll do this. In maybe second week of March, I'll do this. And again, it's conceptual. Decade? Whoa, we're really losing touch here with being able to pinpoint day to day because our concept, our perception's about a day long. We don't really think more than a couple of days in advance. We lay plans, but not concrete ones. So a decade is, yeah, we're not grasping the whole picture there. We're just making notes at various points. A century must be on human lifespan. So it's just irrelevant to us. It doesn't even occur to us to conceptualize and we can't. What about a millennia? What about a thousand years? That's now we're getting into what does history look like? What does history feel like, taste like, smell like? Okay, maybe not smell, but that's, in, in, that's another thing entirely. So, if we're bad at doing a thousand years or a hundred, which we're bad at doing a hundred years or a thousand years or ten thousand years, when I say to you that the dinosaurs died out 120 odd million years ago, it is not terribly likely that unless you are trained to understand what that time scale means, you're going to have a clue what it actually is. So let me put this in another context for you. One million seconds is about, I think it's, okay, I'm, uh, caveat, I suck at numbers, all right? I'm reasonably certain I'm borderline for like numerical dyslexia or something like that because I can't hold on to them and I get them wrong constantly. So I do apologize. A million seconds is about three weeks. I think it's about three weeks or three months, something like that. So that was a million seconds ago was three weeks ago. Let's put it that way. A billion seconds ago was somewhere in the 80s, in the 1980s. A billion is so much conceptually larger than a million dollars that our brain falls over trying to understand it. We just simply straight up can't, unless again you have been trained to have various psychological mechanisms of understanding it. So I'm a geologist, all right, and I've done an awful lot of paleontology. I've done an awful lot of paleoecology as well. I used to be an oil and gas geologist, so we looked at paleo environments all the time. And so I have been trained and have worked in understanding the vast, unbelievably vast depths of time that this world has underneath it, metaphorically speaking. 
and here's a, here's a neat thing. Here's a really cool thing that I quite like that I like to say as often as humanly possible. A lot of things that we see in our, in our constructions of dinosaurs, of images of dinosaurs, is a Tyrannosaurus rex facing off against a Stegosaurus. Now, Tyrannosaurus rex, we all know what it is. Massive head, razor-sharp teeth, tiny little arms, which, by the way, not so weak. It could kill you with them, just only if you were very close. Yeah? Turned into birds, whole shebang. You know what a T-Rex is. It's been in every bloody dinosaur movie since the invention of dinosaur movies. Stegosaurus is the one that has the vertical triangular plates. It's a very long animal. Um, the vertical triangular plates on its back, and it has a spike, the four spikes on its tail, right? With a very long, pointed, small head, right? That's a Stegosaurus. Now, I've seen picture after picture after picture after picture of a Stegosaurus locked in Mortal Kombat with a Tyrannosaur. The problem is, is that Tyrannosaurs are a mid to late Cretaceous dinosaur, which was the last of the dinosaur eras. Stegosaurus was a mid to late Jurassic dinosaur, which was the middle dinosaur era. Tyrannosaurus rex lived closer to us now than it did to Stegosaurus. The species, Stegosaurus and Tyrannosaurus rex, are separated by over a hundred million years. Tyrannosaurus rex and us are separated by less than that. I had the number in my head, but it's gone, see? So they are closer to us now than Stegosaurus. So anytime you see a picture of Stegosaurus fighting a Tyrannosaur, it's impossible. They would have never cohabitated. It's not even remotely possible. The Stegosaurus body plan, so that animal type, died out very early into the Cretaceous and Tyrannosaurus did not emerge until the end. So we, there's, there's one thing. We automatically are not very good at registering spatial change, uh, scale in spatial change and in temporal change and time change. And there's another thing. Um, uh, when the uh, pyramids were being built, woolly mammoths still existed. Betty White is older than sliced bread. Um, things like that where, you know, just crazy coincidences of time and space that what we think of as very far long ago or very recently is usually a garbled mess of historical inaccuracies and, and, and nonsense science. Now, if you saw a picture of a Tyrannosaurus rex fighting a Triceratops, that's a different beast entirely. They did coexist. Um, probably not Triceratops was downgraded during my life to being one individual to being about 300 different species so that's a bit disappointing but nonetheless there's heaps of them they're all the frill sorry Triceratops is the ones with the the big frill bony frill on its head and the three spikes coming out the top or holes or two spikes or with a sometimes with a horn a spiky horn different configurations but that's what they were so when I say that the universe is 14 and change billion years old, that is an absolutely meaningless number. If I say that the Earth, or that the, the, the solar system, is about four and a half, maybe five billion years old, again, it's a meaningless number. Life on this Earth is a billion and a half years old. Again, I probably got that number wrong. I think that's right. Um, so again, it, how long ago was that? How long is a piece of string? A billion is so conceptually, conceptually difficult to understand that it becomes meaningless. 
the history of the Earth, so the geological history, is, is obviously is set up into epochs right, and eras, and it is separated by mass extinctions. So, in the very early Earth, of which there's not much evidence left because it's just too old, it's been overwritten, uh, we have the Precambrian and the Archean. They're the two big ages. Life developed in... Apparently now I'm going to take you on a journey of when life evolved and what happened there, just to give you an idea of scale. I'm sorry, this might be really boring, but I'm going to try. Um, and then I lose my words. Alright. <laughs> so in the Precambrian was when life, unicellular life started to emerge. It's when we have for the vast history of the Earth, you've got nothing, you've just got inorganic soup, and then suddenly, all at once, we don't really know how it works, and we've been trying to understand this for a bloody long time, suddenly inorganic materials become organic materials. You get organic carbon molecule, carbon compounds. This is... Like, it is difficult to explain, unless you have a deep background in biology and chemistry, how turning naturally, naturally occurring change from inorganic to organic, that is, that's the ballgame, ladies and gentlemen. If, if there is one thing on earth that was the most magnificent thing to ever happen, it was that. And so it is so unlikely that the Zeno principle, the Zeno theory, that, that life didn't start on earth, it came from somewhere else, because it is so unlikely that organ inorganic would ever turn into organic molecule, still holds a pretty big place in the discussions about this theory, these, this time on the Earth. Okay? And a little interesting tidbit on the side, the, the, in your cells, in every cell of your body, there is the various digestive structures, there's the nucleus, and there's something called a mitochondria. If we were Americans, we'd all robotically say the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It provides the cell with energy. Mitochondria don't exist in the fossil record right up until they do. That's really interesting. Um, there's no primitive versions of mitochondria in fossils. It just is there one day. So there is almost no doubt that mitochondria as a, as a thing came from somewhere else, some other planet, which is pretty cool. So there's a part of us, and we're all born with it. We all have mitochondria in our cells. There's a part of us that is fundamentally alien. And that's really cool. Anyway, so organic life, so organic compounds exist. You start getting meth, meth, methane gas, meth, methanogenic particles, so based on methane. You start getting um, the very primitive versions of DNA and RNA. Uh, DNA is a double helix. It's what we've got. RNA is a single helical structure. That's what COVID has out of interest. Some simpler organisms have it, RNA instead of DNA. So... Then we get single-celled organisms. So suddenly that organic soup turns into single-celled organisms. This is well over a billion years ago. The vast billions of years of this planet, there has been no life. Then there was a couple of billion years with organic soup. And then right in the last little bit of window of time that this Earth has gone on, we start getting um, single-celled life. And then we get complex life. After the end, at the end of the pre-Cambrian, you have a, um, a, an era, so this is a grouping of me, many mythological time periods, called the Phanerozoic. 
The Phanerozoic has the following errors in it. <coughs> Cambrian, Ordovician, Silurian, Devonian, Carboniferous, Permian. In that, and then at the end of that you have the dinosaurs. And so they, they, that's when the, the Mesozoic era starts. That's the Triassic, Creta uh, Jurassic, then Cretaceous. That, this, um, this part is where you get single-celled organisms starting to turn into complex multicellular organisms. In the Cambrian, there you're getting progressively larger critters in the ocean. Various, it's ex you're exploring with eyes are starting to develop. You can get you've got these light-sensitive cells that can tell up versus down. You haven't got fish yet. You haven't got any animals that we would recognise um, today because they're real weird. They're very simple, very ancient body plans. Then in the Ordovician and the Silurian, you start to get this um, this march of life. Bony fish start to emerge in these periods. You start to get the rudimentary organisms of plants. And this is all underwater, by the way. This life's all underwater. In the Devonian, you start to get land, things on land. Fungus world is another way of describing the Devonian. Um, there were no trees yet. The only terrestrial analogue of trees back then were 10 foot tall, tall mushrooms, as thick and as tall as trees. So mushroom world and fish world as well. This is when you started to get bony fishes and things like that. Now I'm skirting over a whole lot of things in the name of brevity. But this is like a couple of, these are hundreds upon hundreds of millions of years in which all of these things are taking place. And it's all relatively new. So then we get to the, uh, the end of the Devonian, you have the Carboniferous, you're starting to get a lot of plants developing, woody materials are starting to um, um, evolve on the surface. You're starting to get the emergence of life on land. Um, you're getting very primitive um, insects are starting to evolve. Um, there were some really oxygen concentrations were much higher, so you had some dragonflies the size of small horses. And then we get to the Permian. The Permian life just went gangbusters. Every niche was filled. You started to get the synapsids. That's the um, if you ever seen a dinosaur with a big sail on its back, that's not a dinosaur. It's a pre-dinosaur. It's called the the old the, the the really old the newer species are called Dimetrodon. The older ones they're called Synapsids. They use that sail to cool themselves down. They are a truly ancient form of reptile. They're in the Permian before the dinosaurs. You're starting to get pre-mammal organizations, little ratty-looking sort of reptile things. The distinction between reptile and mammal hasn't happened yet so they've all got what's the best way to describe this yeah just ratty looking reptile looking things is kind of the best way to describe it so life has gone nutty every niche is filled and the reason the Permian is such an important era and the reason I touch on this is this turns now into a climate change conversation so about 300 50-ish million years ago was when the Permian ended. Uh, sorry, yeah, 300-ish, 300-ish, that's wrong, and I can, if anyone asks, I can, I can provide that number, but I'm driving and I'm not good with numbers. 
So when when the Permian ended, the fossils that fossils that present from the Permian are just thick with life, just thick with every imaginable critter you can possibly conceive of. They're just everywhere. And then at the end of the Permian, there's nothing. The Permian era ended with a mass extinction event that killed 97% of all species and 96% of all life, of all individuals. The planet was emptied of life in the span of like a million years or so, which in geological terms is very, very history, very, very quick. And those fossils are, it goes from incredibly full of life to a graveyard and there's nothing there. This was caused by climate change. Now, obviously, there were no one back there burning fossil fuels. There was a large uh, volcano, a super volcano, erupted in underwater in what's called the Kerguelen Plateau in the southern. It was now in the Southern Ocean. It wasn't there then. The world looked very different. It it rose. It, it made ocean temperatures skyrocket, much in the same way we're doing now. And over time, that changed ocean chemistry. It changed the uh, planet's weather and it wiped out everything. The important part to take away from this is that while it took, when, when massively rising oceanic temperatures killed 97% of all life on the planet and it took a million years, we're doing exactly the same thing with air emissions, only we're doing it about 20,000 times faster. All right, that's something to be aware of. So at the end of the Permian, the earth is scoured clean. You've got room for the dinosaurs to emerge. Dinosaurs start off small and then they start getting their variability just dramatically increases then throughout the Triassic the first era which is about 100 million years and you just get countless successive organizations of increasing complexity increasing size uh, there's some really cool weird looking dinosaurs in the Triassic like Plateosaurus had this weird looking mouth that was really long and just cool then there was another mass extinction. This was brought on by a big drying that occurred and the atmosphere got very dry for a while. A lot of animal species went extinct. And then we start the Jurassic. The Jurassic was the meat of the dinosaur period. This is when most of the dinosaur plans, the big ones started to emerge. You started to get therapsids, which are bird-hipped dinosaurs, thinking Tyrannosaurus rex, Velociraptor. They come later, they're in the Cretaceous, but that body plan started in the Jurassic. You're starting to get Saurischia, which is lizard-hipped, the four-legged guys, Brontosaurus types, Diplodocus, again, they're, they're there later, but that also includes steg uh, animal types like Stegosaurus. So that's when the major body plans developed, and we are still 200 million years ago. Our species is barely, barely 500, like 200. You could be really nice and say that Homo sapiens are 200,000 years old, but we're probably not even that old. We're not even, our species is not even a million years old, not even half a million, not even a quarter of a million years old. And there were dinosaurs that existed for over a hundred million years before they went extinct, that species. At the end, you have the Cretaceous. Now, the Cretaceous, you start to get this incredibly marked difference between the bird types and the non-bird types. Feathers start to emerge. Flowering plants start to emerge as a 
as a response to these massive, massive, massive dinosaurs that would eat everything inside. So you really starting to get analogues of modern forests. And then you have a mass extinction event. Now, as much as everyone out there says that it was an asteroid, and there was an asteroid at that time, there is incontrovertible proof that it was an asteroid that hit the Earth around the end of the dinosaurs. But the timing's not great. Um, frogs survived that mass extinction. They are crazy, crazy sensitive to environmental change. So if a big planet-killing asteroid had hit and wiped out everything, frogs wouldn't have survived. So it's, it's as much as everyone seems like it's concrete that it was an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs, it's probably a lot more complicated than that. And that was 65 million years ago? Yeah. So not even, not even 100 million years ago, the dinosaurs went extinct. And then, you, and then, mom, then that gave the chance for mammals to start radiating out. So, or six, and then 65 million years later, give or take a, you know, a couple hundred thousand years, you get humans. Or you get these apes that start to stand up and have giant headed babies. Yeah, I must, I love that stuff. Anyway, so, this is all, this is all perspective on time in that the Earth, Earth has had this massively long period. There's a famous construction that if you change the history of the Earth into representing a, an analog clock, then there hasn't been enough time that humanity has existed on this planet for it to have been a second yet. So we don't even we don't even we don't even a blip on the Earth's radar yet, and yet we have done changed so much about the surface of this planet and the atmosphere of this planet, even the depths of this planet. We have put in hundreds upon millions of tons of stuff in the atmosphere around in, in orbit around this planet that now it's going to get difficult to navigate up there. We have had such a profound change on the, this planet, on our environment, and we have barely existed for a dot in compared to the whole of the Earth's geological history. And I find that a very important message in that humans genuinely struggle not to think that we're the centre of the universe. And we think that we thought for a long time that we were the centre of the universe. Hell, Galileo was punished severely by the Catholic Church for daring to suggest that we weren't the centre of the universe. Um, and our egos don't want to let go of the idea. I mean, I know people who, when they think about deep space and the vast black nothing, find it absolutely terrifying. I find it unbelievably cool. I find it liberating that in the face of that vastness, our problems just aren't that, that, that important. So that's scale. That's time scales and perspective scales. And we're not terribly good at judging, judging perceptions outside of our own. I mean, we do it. We're really good at, at, at sharing connection and sharing perceptions with other humans. And even dogs, really. We've made them mini, made dogs and cats mini humans so we can share our psychology pretty well with them. But we suck at it as a general rule. Like, it takes a huge amount of cognitive effort to imagine a perspective on something other than your own. I mean, <clears throat> just quietly, 
the anti-vaccination crowd has been suspiciously quiet during this COVID-19 stuff. And when there is a vaccine, I'm just worried that they're going to stick their heads up and go banana crazy at the idea of forced government-mandated vaccinations to protect everyone. You can't even convince someone that disagrees with the sum total of human knowledge on vaccines that they're wrong. Like, it's just, you can't do it. There's a thing called ideological entrenchment that you cannot, you can't, once you have a core belief, it's impossible to shift. Now, I've wandered off the point a bit, but we, we, we're really, it's really hard to change our perceptions, our perspectives. So if the takeaway for this is anything, is that just understand that, that humans have not really been here that long at all. And yet we think everything about us and what we do is so monumentally earth-shakingly important. Perspective is a wonderful thing. Ego leveling is a wonderful thing. So the next time you find yourself in a heated argument with someone online or in person, the moment is probably going to be online, try and put yourself in a separate perspective, okay? Try and conceptualize a perspective other than your own, and you will find you're actually really good at it. And once you can conceptualize things like deep time, so hundreds upon hundreds of millions of years, you might find that other things that you conceptualized um, as, as being difficult for you to conceptualize suddenly get a bit easier. Okay, so I'm, I'm actually home now, so this seems like a perfectly good point to finish up. Thank you for listening, guys, and I'll see you next time. Ciao.